Hi, welcome to Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, the host. Um, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer if we could. So if you'll just join me. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to talk about you, about your ways, about your Son, about your Holy Spirit. Lord, bless us. Help me step aside and let you speak and have the things happen that you want to happen, Lord. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1977, I was uh, spiritually distraught. It was the summer of 1977. I was born under the covenant, meaning my parents were married in the LDS temple prior before I was uh, born and I came into this earth a Mormon. I was raised a Latter-day Saint. I was a bit of a hellion as a youth and um, was called at 19 to serve a mission to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And I thoroughly enjoyed the mission. I, uh, I went out there with everything that I could uh, give and uh, loved the companions I had, enjoyed the camaraderie I had with the people of Pennsylvania. I learned to study the, the scriptures. I learned to speak publicly. I learned to go door to door. It was a wonderful organization. And I used that time on the mission to really try to get myself in order, to try to get my life straightened out by living the correct way. So as I did this mission, I lived it with exactness, and that was kind of a mission motto. We're going to live with exactness. And we have a white handbook, and I followed all the rules, and I, I did everything I could have done to be a good missionary. And I walked away from that experience very grateful. The problem was is when I got home from the mission, shortly thereafter, uh, I realized that I hadn't really changed inside. I was still the same person that I was that I, that before I went. I still had the same inclinations. I hadn't been changed. And I realized that all I had done when I served for that full time out there was to preoccupy myself with religious practices. I, it confused me greatly. I didn't know what to do. And so I followed the prescribed method for, from the LDS church at the time, and I got married. And I married a beautiful girl in the Los Angeles temple, sealed for time and all eternity, and thought, well, I do this. This is the thing I need to do. And that's really going to teach me to become a real man of God. I'd always had a great love for God. I always wanted to have a friendship and a partnership with God. But at the same time, I've always maintained very sinful ways, very selfish, lustful, um, violent, angry. I had all these ways in me, and nothing was seeming to take them and, and turn them. So I got married, and I began to question and search. And I decided I was going to find out absolute truth if it could be found. If there was an absolute God, I was going to find absolute truth. And so I started studying church history and I began to read all the th things I had read before, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, uh, the Bible. I reread those. I read church history. I read the Messiah series by McConkie. And I did a little bit of, uh, of uh, some of the other works that have been written. And that didn't seem to change me as a man. And then I slipped, uh, as I finished college, I slipped um, into starting to study anti-Mormon material. And I started reading about its history, and I began to see another view of Mormonism. That didn't change me at all either. That confused me a bit, and it made me a little bit more filled with angst, but I hadn't had any type of inward change that made me a better man. I had more knowledge, but I wasn't a better man. 
In short, I then went to philosophy and then I went to Eastern metaphysics and I spent a good 17 years roiling in despair trying to find absolute truth. The interesting thing is all the while, I continued to be an active Latter-day Saint. And I wasn't only active, I was, I was respected. I had uh, uh, positions that were looked up to. I was called as an elders quorum president as a young man. I was uh, an early morning seminary teacher. I was put in a bishopric. I was on a stake high council for three years. Um, of course, I was involved with the youth and I taught Sunday school and a high priest quorum and all the different things that you can do as a Latter-day Saint. And I was very active with them and I was active as a father. But inwardly, I was still corrupt. And I knew that if I was going to be legitimate and if I was going to have a real relationship with God, I had to change somehow inside. Now, maybe some of you have had this feeling and maybe you haven't. But I think it's a feeling everybody will have if they really examine their heart relative to God's holiness. Somewhere in our heart, if we haven't had a change, we have evil. It might manifest itself in selfishness or pride or lust or anger or bitterness or something in us is going to be opposite of what God wants it to be. And that's where I found myself. So in 1977, this summer, my wife asked if I would go pick my daughters up from a gymnastics practice in another town. And as I drove to that practice, I could have driven into a brick wall and done my life in as well as gone and picked them up. I was so destitute. I had literally become a nihilist and believed in nothing at that point. And I turned the radio on and there was a, a radio preacher, I didn't know who he was, and he shared a message. And he asked a question at that time that greatly affected me, so much so that I pulled over to the side of the road. He asked, if you can make yourself righteous, why haven't you done it? And to me, it was a great question because on the mission I had tried, and through my callings I had tried, and through strict obediences and really hankering down and going into the bishop and talking things through and doing this and doing that, I really had tried but I was not successful, if I was going to be honest. And so it was a good question, and it caused me to stop and think, and then he asked another one. He said, the reason that you haven't made yourself perfect and presentable before God is because you can't. And that made sense to me as well, because I knew I couldn't, no matter what I did, no matter how many rites I performed, or how I dressed, or how starched my shirt was, or how clean-shaven my face was on Sundays. Nothing was going to change the inside of me because I couldn't do it on my own. And then this pastor, who I later learned was a man named Charles Stanley, he went on to share a message about Jesus Christ and how it was Jesus and his life and Jesus Christ and his righteousness and his work and his atonement and his suffering on the cross by having him in my life, I could become a new man. And he asked me if I wanted to take this, this challenge and offer the sinner's prayer. So cars are whizzing by on this highway and my kids are going to get out of gymnastics and I decide I'm going to do the sinner's prayer. And so I ask Heavenly Father, that's how we pray as a, as a Latter-day Saint, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinful man and I can't get over myself. No matter what I've tried, I can't do it. Heavenly Father, will you forgive me for my sins through Jesus Christ? Jesus, will you come into my heart? 
Jesus, will you take over my life? Jesus, will you guide me from this point forward? I will do anything, Jesus. I will do anything if you will do this. And I'll wait for you to do it. I promise you I'll wait. Now, I have to admit, I hoped that when I had opened my eyes and said amen, that a miraculous thing would occur and and the heavens would open and light would shine upon me and I'd be a completely new guy, but I wasn't. Nothing happened. Nothing changed. And so I... I went back and I got in the car and I drove and I got to um, the gymnastics practice and I parked the car and I sat there and I was still about 15 minutes early and I laid my head back. And four memories came flooding into my mind of things that had happened since I was a boy. The first one, I was about 10 years old, the phone rang and I was in the shower no one else was home and I went and answered it and on the other end was a man. He had something wrong with him. He was physically disabled or maybe mentally or emotionally troubled. He had a speech impediment. And he told me that it was his mission or ministry to call people at random and to pray with them and talk to them about the Lord. We talked for so long that when we hung up the phone, my hair was dry. I remember that. And I heard my mom come into the kitchen and I went into my room and got dressed and I never told anybody about it. And in fact, I, in fact, I frankly forgot about it until I was sitting there after this experience. The next experience was shortly after my mission and shortly after being married. My wife and I moved to Logan, Utah, and we lived there before starting back up at BYU. And while I was there, I cleaned pools. And I was cleaning the pool outside this club one day, and I saw a red-haired kid sitting over on a lounge chair reading a black book. And so as I worked my way around to him, I asked him, what is that black book? And he says, well, it's the Bible. And I said, are you Mormon? And he said, I was. And I said, oh, you were? And of course, I was fresh off a mission. I was full of chutzpah and no love. And uh, we started battling back and forth. And he walked away. But before he walked away, he said, you're going to find out. One day, you're going to find out who Jesus really is. That memory came back to my mind that day. The two other memories revolved, involved two uh, women who I worked with in the banking industry who shared their testimony of Jesus Christ with me, and I just kind of pushed it off as though they were just Christians, Jesus freaks, born-againers, gracers, who didn't know what they were talking about. They didn't have the fullness of the gospel, I thought, at the time that they shared that with me and pushed it off. And both of those experiences came back flooding into my mind. I opened my eyes, and I watched my daughters come out of that gymnasium, and I can tell you unequivocally, Without question, I was born again, a new creature in Christ. I was given a new heart. I was given a new perspective. I was given new power to change the things in my life. It didn't happen immediately. I'm still, of course, working on it. And that's the second part of spiritual rebirth. But the first part was so key, was so key to my transition it, it completely blew my mind. The message I have for people who are of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is only one. Have you been born again through faith in Jesus Christ? My message to Christians in this community who know Latter-day Saints is to ask them or to find out or to set an example of someone who has been born again through faith in Jesus Christ. John 1, 12 through 13 says, 
John 1, 12 through 13. But as many received him, that is, as many as received Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So that verse says that if you receive him, he will give you the power to become his son or daughter. It doesn't say here that we were born his sons and daughters. It says that we have to have faith on him to become his son and daughter. And verse 13 goes on and says, which were born, talking about those who have had faith, not of blood, meaning not naturally, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, meaning not through religion, but of God. Have you been born of God? Now, this is going to sound a little different, but I mean this completely and listen to me carefully. I don't care if you, I don't care what religion you go to, belong to. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what position you hold, how wealthy or successful you are. I don't care if you believe the church, meaning Mormonism, is true. All I care about in my ministry and in this program is do you know Jesus Christ through spiritual rebirth? That is the key to a relationship and to walk with him in this life. Do you know and have you been born again? Now, I also want to say that there's no question involved there. You're not going to become born again and then wonder, well, was I? You will know. It is, a, it is a metaphysical change of your spirit. You begin to see the world in new ways. It's not an escape. It's not some psychological trick. It is you taking your will and turning it over to the Lord because you cannot do anything for yourself. Now this sometimes flies in the face of religion, organized religion, doing things for yourself. You know, we're supposed to be self-sufficient. We're supposed to be able to do all these things, and in a way, we do. We have responsibilities. We get up every day, and we go to work, and we do those things. But you can get up every day and go to work much better with Jesus on your side when you have been born again. So I'm not here to talk to you about leaving Mormonism. I don't want to talk to you about the LDS history, Joseph Smith, and, and, and wives, or polygamy, or blacks in the priesthood, or blood atonement, or all the plethora of things that can come up. I want to know if you've been born again. Now, I propose to you that the LDS Church is negligent in teaching spiritual rebirth. In fact, they very rarely include it. I propose to you that they are negligent in preaching and teaching Jesus Christ as God, as the Son of God, as God incarnate, as the Savior. Yes, it's there intellectually, but it's not there when it comes to the day-to-day -day relinquishment of our will. Now I have a lot of Christian friends who all want to talk about Mormonism when they contact me. And if you're LDS, you know, and even if you're not, you know there's a big difference between Mormonism and Mormons. There's a big difference between Catholicism and Catholics. There are plenty of Latter-day Saints who do not believe much of what Mormonism represents. There are Latter-day Saints who are cultural Latter-day Saints. There are Latter-day Saints who do not believe many of the teachings of the founding prophet. There are Latter-day Saints who have never read the Book of Mormon. These things are not the keystone to their faith. 
Their faith is built upon culture. Their faith is built upon family. There's no reason that you can't come to know Jesus Christ in a personal relationship, to be spiritually reborn and walk with him. And let him take over your life and decide where you're going to go. When my Christian friends ask about Mormonism, I always ask them a question back. I say, do you believe that all Mormons are going to go to hell? Every now and then, one of them will say yes, and of course, I begin to pray at that point, but um, usually they say no. I don't believe all Mormons are going to go to hell. And then I can say, well, what is the thing that's going to allow those Mormons who, go to, who will go to heaven to go to heaven? And they'll say, well, it's going to be their faith in Jesus Christ. And so then I can follow it up by asking, if it's their faith in Jesus Christ, why do we spend our time talking about anything else with Latter-day Saints or Jehovah's Witnesses or Catholics or any of the people we don't think follow along the right way? Why do we spend our time talking about those things when we should talk about the thing that will get an individual to heaven? Jesus Christ. It doesn't seem that simple to them. I was actually told by a very overbearing Christian person that I was to get on the show and without question let you know that the LDS church is a C-U-L-T. I'm not going to even say the word. Now, academically, there may be some truth to the totalist methodologies that the LDS church will use with their members. Academically, that might be right. But it isn't correct. It's not Christian. When you're having a discussion with somebody to, to, to call them out in a cult, I've never been able to understand when I was a Latter-day Saint why I would want to follow somebody who was mean-spirited and rude. Why their God would be better than mine when they talk to me about my religion. There's no room for rudeness. There's no room for attacking. So much is done in the name of apologetics to guys, just mean-spiritedness. We know that from the scriptures, uh, Galatians 5, I think, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, long-suffering, mercy. Read those, those gifts, of the, the, uh, those evidences of the fruit of the Spirit. I don't read those when it comes to apologetic dialogue and attacks. To use that C-U-L-T word is, is ineffective. And it has nothing to do with sharing the message of Jesus Christ, what he's done for you in your life. So I would suggest that we try to get away, with, away from that and I'd like to also mention three other things that I've observed as a Christian before we open up the lines for calls. The first thing is that methods matter. Methods mattered to Jesus when he talked to the woman at the well. Methods mattered to God when he spoke to the children of Israel. Methods matter in our interaction with human beings. People have hearts. They have minds. They have family. They have church that that is important to them. They have memories and experiences that are important to them. And to come in and just hack away at the religion that they belong to from birth is, is uh, spiritually irresponsible. And so I would hope that in this valley, we can have a collective change in how we speak to people of other faiths. Let's use some reason. Oh, never soft sell the gospel. Never soft sell the truth of Jesus Christ, but preach Jesus and what he has done for us. So the first thing, our methods matter. Now, you know, I have three daughters, 20, 16, and 12, and throughout their lives, they have always come to me and wanted to know what I thought about their looks. Dad, do you like my dress? Dad, do you think I'm, I look pretty in this? Is this okay? And I have a choice there. 
My choice is not whether I share the truth with them or not. They come to me for the truth. And so I'm going to share truth with those girls so that they can always come to me as a source of truth. But how I share that truth is so vitally important. I could say to them, you look horrible. Or, I mean, what kind of girl would wear that out in public? Or I've never seen you look so terrible. Or what's wrong with you for choosing that kind of outfit? I, I, could, I could do that. Or I could say, you know, you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. That outfit looks okay. I think you've looked better in things. And then they'll ask, well, well what's wrong with it? Well, I, I, I don't know about that skirt or that color on you or whatever. And then they go back and they change. And every now and then they would not change. They might not take my advice. But they always came back to me to get my feedback, to hear what I thought about their apparel. Methods matter. When we're a parent, they matter. When we're a member of the body of Christ, they matter. When we're talking to our Mormon friends and neighbors, when we're talking with people of other faiths that aren't even Christian or that don't even involve Christ in their, in their religion. Methods matter. The second thing I want to bring up is that we have to teach Jesus first. And I think that, again, it's spiritual irresponsibility to take up people and hack away at their religious inculcations to attack the, the things that they've built their uh, relationship on, which is religion, and then leave them alone without Jesus. When we teach Jesus first as the person to turn to, to have a relationship with, a regenerative relationship, when those people come to find out the truth of their religion, they will back away softly. I drive through the state and I see such fallout from people who have gotten a hold of the truths of Mormonism and their faith is crushed, but they have nothing to stand on. They're left wandering. They hate religion, they hate God, they hate everything, and they turn to the world for their solace. We have, we have to be much more responsible in talking with people about their faith. And by preaching Jesus first, we're going to have a, a much greater effect because he's going to take over. Finally, before we open the phone lines, one last thing. Change takes time. I wrote a book shortly uh, after, I started to write a book shortly after I became born again. And on that, in that book, I titled it Born Again Mormon, Moving Toward Christian Authenticity. That title alone has caught a, caused a great deal of um, consternation and uproar and controversy among my Christian uh, brothers and sisters. The word born-again Mormon is an actual title because you can be born again and Mormon. I was. I was regenerated by God himself in 1997. I left Mormonism in 2001. It takes a while to get rid of the, of the things that you have accumulated. If we consider a tree covered with leaves, the fall comes and the leaves will fall off, but some of them cling. They cling through the winter and they don't fall by themselves. And then when the spring comes, the sap of life surges through that tree again and those leaves will start falling off because the sap of life pushes them away for new growth to come. Someone could come along right at the end of fall every year and just try to pluck all the dead leaves off trees, but we don't need to. God takes care of it in nature and he takes care of it when it comes to being with him and in Christ. So it takes time. I think of Martin Luther who after posting his thesis in Wittenberg, he wore his vestments of an Augustinian monk for seven years. That would be like abandoning Mormondom and wearing a white shirt and tie in your name bag that you had on your mission for another seven years, even after you came to know the Lord. Martin Luther did it. 
These things take time. So let's have patience. Let's share the Lord, and let's have patience. Let's open up the phone lines. We have a call on line one. Go ahead. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, yeah. I just liked your idea about uh, sharing Jesus with the LDS faith, and I've tried that several times uh, in the way of I'm just looking for the right way to go about it, knowing that uh, there's a Jesus of the Bible as well as uh, the Jesus of the LDS faith. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you had any success? Um, little to none. Little to none. Well, again, you're planting seeds. I've discovered the seeds I've planted uh, several years ago. They begin to bloom. And, of course, it's not us who does the, the, the watering, but uh, good job. I'm glad of, you're taking that approach because I believe it's biblical, and I think it really is the only thing that's going to make a, a real change in the end. Thank you. Thanks for your call. Line two, Shane. Go ahead. One second, see. Okay. Are you on? Jonathan, you on? You're yeah. on. Yes, sir. I just had a question for you, real quick. Yeah. I was just wondering what made you convert. What made me convert from Mormonism? Yeah. Well, did you hear the beginning of the show? No, I just caught about the last few minutes. Oh, uh, I, I, I had a, uh, I turned my life over to the Lord in the car, and. Um, and that, uh, that experience in time helped me come to see him in a completely different way, a way that I didn't see uh, taught in Mormonism. And so it really it was the Lord who converted me when I was at a point of desperation because I couldn't handle things in my own life. I see. So did you ever kneel down when you were praying for the truth of the LDS Church? What about that conversion? Uh, did I kneel down? Did you pray? Oh, yeah, uh, always. Uh, I'm, throughout my mission, I prayed. I constantly wanted to know if the Book of Mormon was true. Um, constantly wanted to know if the church was true. Uh, but I'll tell you the difference. Um, one was the manifestations I had that the church was true was an emotional response. The manifestation that I had that Jesus had taken over my life was all-encompassing, and I can't define it in terms of either intellect or emotion or, or just spiritual. It's an all-encompassing change of heart because he gives you a new heart. And that was the difference that I experienced as a Christian. You followed your heart when you got married, didn't you? Uh, I followed my emotions and my lust and my uh, heart when I got married, yeah. And you shouldn't have got married. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, you may be right on that. My, my, my wife might agree with you, too. <laughs> I just don't understand how a person can gain a testimony by trusting their feelings and then fall away from that because that's, how human beings are motivated by feeling. No, I would disagree with you on that. I think that, that, that human beings are motivated, I'll agree with you there, are motivated by feelings. But I think feelings are very dangerous. I think that's why we have the Word of God, and you can turn to a source that I believe is infallible, and you can get exact truth, and then you can compare all things that come to you, whether they be feelings or testimonies or facts from the Word of God. And as a Latter-day Saint, you don't have that. You have to rely on an emotive response, and I think that's very dangerous. I just, well, speaking of danger, I think you should be careful broadcasting over live air, uh, teaching what you just said. Why is that? Because you're messing with things I don't think you understand, especially having been a disciple of Jesus Christ in his true nature and now fallen away. I just hope you understand yeah. what, what you've done. Yeah. I appreciate your, your uh, opinion, and I understand what you're saying. I understand the mindset that makes you say it. 
But uh, I can tell you this, this is all I can say, is that when I was a Latter-day Saint and I was getting the praise of the people around me and I was fulfilling my callings and I was saying all the right things in my testimonies and I was arguing the right way out on the street, uh, I was a jerk. And my wife and my children can attest to that. But when I came to know the Lord at the side of the road and turned my life over to him, I became a kind guy and I became loving and I became a different man. I cannot refute that, no matter how much it stings for me to say these things on air. If you, could, if you could have understood, though, that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is a kind and charitable person like he would, mm-hmm. perhaps you would have been able to be that as a Latter-day Saint. That's, that's the nature of his church, is to be like him. And you're, you're on air uh, destroying that image of his church. I don't think I am. I think uh, the image I'm portraying is when we follow Jesus, we are more like him, and that religions uh, really, Jesus didn't bring a building down with him. I mean, I like church, and I think it's important, but it's not found in a church. It's found in him. Well, here's the thing, is that you and I and everyone listening and watching right now will, whether you believe this or not, here's the truth. When he splits the Mount of Olives, Mm -hmm. the prophets that will be standing with him will be the leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I understand that you believe that, and I I am not going to to stand up and say that you're a fool. You have the right to your belief. God gave you a mind to, to believe how you want, and he gave you the free will to believe that. All I can tell you is that where I was once an idiot and a jerk, Jesus came in and changed my life, and now I'm a, I'm a much better husband, father, neighbor, man than I ever was as a Latter-day Saint. We have other calls coming in, brother. Thank you. Go ahead. You're on Heart of the Matter. You know what? I just want to thank you. You know, it's, your message is so simple, a child could understand, and that's the way Jesus teaches in his word. A child could understand. Thank All of a sudden, who is this? <laughs> and you know what? It's the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, this is this that I brought to you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Yeah. Bless going in, bless going on. That's how I am. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Bye-bye. Bye. Line three, we have... Craig, how you doing? Craig. <laughs> so you're going to lose it there for a minute. Oh, I'll, I'll lose it, I'm sure, but go ahead. <laughs> Question I had, I, so you know, up front, uh, I'm actually a BYU religion professor. So wow. That, uh, but I enjoyed listening to you. It's just the same, and I want you to know that. Thanks for telling me. <laughs> no, you're fine. Now I'll be really intimidated, Greg. <laughs> oh, no, and that, but I want to tell you, first, this was not intimidating. I don't think I'm an intimidating person. If we were eating lunch, you'd say, yeah, it was kind of a nice visit we had. <laughs> so, oh, good. My question still came as you asked the question, you know, have you spiritually been born of God? Right. And being, I mean, I told you, I taught. I taught seminary for hmm, 15 years. I've been at the Y for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. I taught, I've taught that all 30 years. And I've begged and pled with students to consider and I, I thought well let me look in the Bible here and I I love the Bible I've lived in Jerusalem uh-huh. I teach it mm-hmm. but I don't ever find that question being asked by any of the Apostles I only find that Book of Mormon hmm. Book of Mormon continually is in fact I think it is more faithful to asking people to be born of God mm-hmm. than any other text I've ever read mm-hmm. and that's why I <laughs> saw it before I ever graduated from high school was from reading that text. It's a comment more, mm-hmm. but I thought, let's, I think that if someone misses that in Mormonism, that's sad. It is. That's a, that's a central theme. But let me ask you this, Greg. Sure. Um, 
the Book of Mormon, I don't, I don't dispute that the Book of Mormon has uh, regenerative themes in it that are far greater than the New Testament, uh, at least from, the, from an English reading. The Greek is a little different from, from what I've learned of Greek so far, but uh -huh. uh, the, the problem is, is I could, I could print a pamphlet right now, Greg, that would talk about spiritual rebirth a uh, hundred times more than the Bible does. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that text is authentic or true. I, and so I don't use the repetitive nature. I think it was a uh, cultural theme at the time that the Book of Mormon was, um, was published. I think it was a cultural theme that came out in the Book of Mormon. And I, I think that uh, what was going on at the time, it was big to be reborn. I mean, and they were clapping their hands and all the things that happened in the Book of Mormon to help express what the experience was like. And I don't deny that it, it, that it talks about it. But uh, I'm, we have to consider several other factors. One is, is that book genuine? When you ask, you see, look at, if you want to know what kind of tree it is, you look at its fruits. Okay. And, 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 and I look at the change, and I'm thinking, now, just a minute. I'll, you know, I don't see any faith having a corner on helping people being born again then. I don't, need, I, I, I don't either, any faith. You're, well, a faith I do. I think Christianity... Well, faith in Christ, because it's only through Christ. Okay. And, but that's what I'm looking at, is if that's our, our goal, is to be able to accept Christ, then I'm looking at uh, the power that's behind these testimonies. Okay. And then the hearsay, being, I mean, I have been studying it uh, at least as much as anyone I've ever known in my life. Uh -huh. And uh, it's interesting that the... For me, I would say then that uh, following what we call the restoration, okay. that uh, the power that was given from the atonement of Christ isn't found near as deep in any other faith. The problem that I have with, with what you're saying, though, and I don't want to go into doctrinal uh, tennis match here, but um, when you say the, re the restorative faith and you're talking about the Book of Mormon leading you to that, and you claim to be born again, and I'm not going to dispute that. That's between you and God. But you, you then embrace a gospel that is extra-biblical and that is actually contrary to biblical teachings. Anyone who lived in Christ's time had to grab a faith that was extra-biblical because at that time, the faith in Christ was extra-biblical. So they, if I lived at the time of Christ, I'm going to have the same argument against me for accepting um, no doubt. a new book because it's not Old Testament. I understand that. I understand that. Same thing. It's, it's putting new but wine the, in new bottles instead of old bottles. But the apostles, Greg, were first-hand witnesses, and they had that testimony to rely on until the New Testament came forth. Okay, and that's what we'd suggest then that uh, is I know. place in the Restoration. I know. Not just suggest, and then... So it would be a little hard. The, the part is, I guess, it's so interesting to me that the question you asked uh -huh. came right out of the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. Have you spiritually been born of God? Not no asked question. anywhere else. No question. It's asked in the Book of Mormon. Uh, and, and like I said, I think the Book of Mormon br brings a lot of truth in. But a lot of truth doesn't make it the truth. And, th and that's where we differ. So we can, we can agree to disagree on that. And let me go to line two. Thanks for calling, Greg. Hi, this is Sean. Hello. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? You're on. Hi. Line two. 
Okay, sorry about that. I need to turn down the TV. I don't know how to work it without oh. the TV on. <laughs> yeah, you can't have that TV on. Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. Um, yeah, I've just been watching you tonight, and I just felt impressed to call you. I, I really enjoyed your message tonight. I'm, I'm uh, LDS. Uh, okay. Uh, I've been watching uh, TBN. I don't know if you're familiar with that network. but I am. I <laughs> really enjoy watching uh, all of the uh, messages that are, that are presented on that t television program. and. Uh -huh. A few of the local pastors give messages, and I, I just want to say how much I appreciate the messages, and I, they really speak to my heart. Good. Uh, I think that you're—I don't know what else to say other than, you know, I think you're doing a great job. I think you're doing a great job in uniting churches together. I think it's important for people that you're ministering to to hear your message, whether they, they be LDS or not. I Thank think you. you're really going to help change a lot of hearts in the LDS Church, and I just really feel that very strongly. That's all I really wanted to say tonight. Um, God bless you, brother. Thanks for calling. Okay. Call again. Thank you for your message. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to line one. Line one, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. My name is Mary Medina, and Hi, Mary. I was um, once a born-again Christian in 1976, 70, 76, uh -huh. and uh, I love the Lord with all my heart. Praise God. Time I uh, came to Utah and became a Latter-day Saint. Uh-huh. And uh, I, noticed, I noticed the attitude is kind of odd because it seems like each one wants to say they're right. The Lord is the bottom line. The Lord is. He sure is. And so in, when the word C-U-L-T is pronounced, it's like, it's not. It's not. Um... It's very important that we don't judge each other and we love each other. And instead of cutting somebody down and saying, well, I'm right and you're wrong, and, and just love and live, then we're doing great. And uh, I think that other guy in front of me uh, spoke about it. But, you know, you were saying that you were, your attitude was not that good or whatever, and then all of a sudden you became a born-again Christian and you were better. Yeah. But I think each one of us has a time in our life that we are rotten and we are bad. Yeah. And the Lord is the one that changed us. Amen, Mary. Whether, which, whatever, whichever religion you're from. But I really do like the LDS people. They're wonderful. They are. And, um, and also the born-again Christians. They are, too. Bottom line is if God has changed your heart and you're doing right, then you're doing the right thing. That's a great order and way to summarize that. Thank you for calling. You're welcome, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Before we go on to the next call, I want to make mention of something, if you're, if you're still listening. I am not ecumenical at all. And what that word means, it's a big word for, I don't believe that all churches, whatever their beliefs are, should come together in one mega church. I believe that the church is the body of Christ, and it's made up of believers. And I believe that there are believers in Catholicism. I believe there are believers in Mormonism, as I've said. I believe that the body of Christ is primarily made up of born-again Christians who belong to a body of Christ. But I think there are exceptions out there who come from faiths that have divergent thoughts. But I'm not ecumenical, so I hope I didn't give that message that I'm preaching, hey, let's just all get together and believe anything we want. I am a Bible-believing Christian, and I believe that we should follow the Bible completely. And I believe in its inerrancy and in its infallibility. Those are two big words to use in a Mormon audience, but I believe that, and I trust in that. So let me, I wanted to clear that up. Let me go to line three. 
Randy. Randy, you're on Heart of the Matter. And how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, enjoying the rain. Yeah. It's just really it's encouraging to, to know that, um, that you're the former LDS, born again, and, you know, I'm born again, and I have a heart to reach the Mormon people. I was raised in Utah. Amen, Randy. And I, I, as you can see by the phone calls you've had today, that they can get pretty mean uh. when you bring the gospel, the true gospel, to them. Yeah, they get pretty mean. And I was just wondering, how do you how do you approach them in love without forcing a wedge between? You know, because it gets pretty mean. Well, you know, I can't on my own, Randy. I am a mean guy too. Um, oh, yeah. I'm an angry guy too, and, and that flesh gets up in me, and I can't do it. But when I start my day off with prayer, and I just turn my day over to Jesus, and I try to walk with Him constantly, He gives me that love that allows me to deal with people who are cantankerous. Now, I have to say in the LDS defense, I am treated often better by Latter-day Saints than I am from some of my own brothers in, in the Lord uh, because of differing opinions. But that doesn't mean all my brothers in the Lord are argumentative and evil either. We're just yeah. people, you we know? Or just people. Yeah, I, 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 it's just really encouraging to, uh, you know, that you you found Jesus, and that that just gives me hope that I can reach other Mormons. Amen. Keep going, brother. Yeah, you because know, that, that's my heart is to, you know, to place the jewel of the soul in the crown of our Lord. There you go. I, I pray I, God's I, blessings upon you, Randy. I got to pick up another line. All right. God bless. God bless you. Bye bye. Line one is Paul. You're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, the part that confuses me is I understand, I mean, in, in, I'm a born-again Christian, and I have family that's, you know, still into Mormonism. Uh-huh. And um, in Hebrews, they talk about, I mean, the, the Melchizedek priesthood, I mean, yeah. and the qualifications. I mean, I understand Christ to be our, our Melchizedek priesthood now, whereas the Mormons believe they can hold that new right. the, the priesthood. And the thought, the thought that, uh, can there be new... Uh, Apostles, I mean, other than the, you know, the 12, I mean, other than, you know, the 12 and Paul. You, you want me to answer that? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, it's confusing to me. Okay. Well, uh, Bible reference to Melchizedek and, and, and everything, it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And, and again, Jesus is the answer for Bible-believing Christians. He's our high priest, and he is the one who goes before the Holy of Holies of our uh, Father every day, and he petitions for us on our behalf, and he's our high priest. Latter-day Saints have, have, uh, have their own high priests, and they also have uh, their own priesthood. Uh, the, the, the office of apostle has not gone away. Christians still believe in apostles. They believe in apostles and prophets. They believe in the gift of prophecy. But it's just uh, an order of things that the LDS use, and, and it's what they believe in. Um, I don't think that those things, maybe uh, the Melchizedek priesthood and who their high priest is, could be argued, but as far as apostles and prophets and what they call themselves in their church hierarchy and organization, I don't think it bears on salvation. I think those things will change when the church collectively comes to know the Lord and praise Him instead of anything else, praise the Lord, but I think there's sub-issues to, the to the main issue, which is Jesus. And, I, and, and, and I, it's all about Jesus. I mean, I I'm, uh, still have issues that I'm trying to work out. Nobody has all the answers. Right. I come out of um, Mormonism and was agnostic for several years before I was found the Lord uh, fighting that's, fire, you know, the prison fire for fighters. And, yeah, that's common, isn't it? 
but uh, the, I think where you say, you know, because my, my, my mother, she's still lost, and we're still into Mormonism, and, and I've tried to, you know, instead of trying to teach, bring her out, I've tried to just drop seeds that is all about Jesus. Share the Lord with her, brother. i got to go to another call. Take God care. Bless you. God bless you. Thanks for the call. Bible does not cover being born of God. We're going no. to line two. Cover being You're born on the God. air. And it's in uh, conversation. I lost him. Alan, you're on line three. Hey, Sean. How you doing, brother? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. Looking at your face on TV here. <laughs> I'm sorry for that sight. <laughs> hey, man. Um, I've been living in Utah for about 10 years now uh -huh. and uh, talked to lots of LDS folks. Love them. No problem. Uh, I wondered in your witnessing to the LDS people over the last, what, nine years or yeah. 10 years since you've been a Christian, I mean, do you primarily see them as LDS? Or do you kind of lump, and I, I might not use all the right words, but do you kind of lump them all together as unsaved, just as if they were Hindu or Muslim or whatever? No. And as far as, uh, you know, witnessing to them, do you tend to talk about sin, their own personal sin? Yeah. And what will they do with that as you would with anybody else? Yeah, good points. Uh, I do talk about sin. It is the, the first thing I go to because... Often Latter-day Saints, they'll admit that they sin, but they, it's like, well, I'll steal something out of the cookie jar when my mom's not looking kind of sins, because they live very clean lives. They don't really often put the deeper, grosser sins of the heart, the, the hidden lust and the anger and the pride and the arrogance that comes with success. They don't often put that out on the table uh, as a Christian might try to do. Now, I, I don't mean to be generalized here, and I don't mean to insult the LDS audience. That's just my observation. And I was a Latter-day Saint for 40 years, so I, I do think I can speak with some insight into that. As far as how I view the Latter-day Saints, um, I, do, I view them on a one-by-one -one individual basis. I view Hinduism as uh, non-Christian and therefore unsaved. Uh, Latter-day Saints, it's a case-by-case -case basis, in my opinion. Sure, I, I mean, I do experience the same thing even with believers. I mean, yeah, oh yeah. What they believe and, and where they're coming from can vary quite differently. Yeah, absolutely. Also, whether they're from the West or Calvary Chapel versus yeah. this church over here. But Good point. I'm curious about your, your approach with uh, talking with LDS folks. Generally, when I talk to them, I do talk about them personally, about their own sin. Uh huh. Uh, how do they stand before God on Judgment Day? Guilty or innocent? Phenomenal. They've all, they've all stated guilty. Um, uh -huh. They asked uh, what their end result will be when they stand before God, heaven or hell. Uh -huh. And uh, I would say 9 out of 10 uh, say hell. Wow. Now, I haven't had that experience, but that's interesting. I'll have to, to, to try that and see if I find the same things. Okay, great. Thanks for your, uh, your time tonight, bro. Hey, thanks for the call. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to line two, Elston. Elston, line two. Yes, sir. Uh, Hi. First of all, I'd just like to, you know, thank you for, you know, your program. Uh, You're welcome. Found it very interesting. Uh, earlier, you had a gentleman who called in and mentioned um, that uh, he was not familiar with too much Bible scripture that talked about being born of God. And right. I was just wondering why you maybe didn't respond with the conversation that Christ had with Nicodemus, uh, which was, uh, you know, his explanation that one must be born of the Spirit. Right. Well, Elston, I'm familiar with that verse, and I, 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 was, I could have gone to that, and I could have gone back to John 1, and I could have gone to several others. My Bible is, believe me, if you could heft this thing, you'd see I'm prepared to do that. Yeah. But I, I really don't want to, uh, he's a BYU professor, and he knew that I could come back with that. I don't want to debate Scripture. I want to use Scripture to teach Jesus. 
but I don't, I really don't want to go down a debating road with Latter-day Saints because if I had used that verse, then he would have come back to me with another one of a different sort. Maybe he may not have, he seemed like a very nice guy. And then I just don't want it to go that route. I want to just talk about the Lord and is he in charge of your life and my life and, and everyone else's. That's, uh, you know, I, it, I was just, I, I was kind of waiting for you to say, I know. you talk about that scripture, and, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I certainly understand your point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know, you know, and I, I understand your point, and I understand the importance of doing that, but, but my approach has, has uh, turned to this way, because for me, it works the best. Well, you know, and as the Lord leads you, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Really what's important. Thanks for your call. You're welcome. Take care. Brian on line one. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Brian. Yeah, I'm here. I was just turning off the TV. Oh, okay. Um, here's, here's my question. First, I'd like to start off. I am LDS. Okay. And uh, I, I wish I could express how much I do believe that I do believe in Christ. And I believe that um, I do try to be nice to people. It's, it's part of my uh, daily life. Uh-huh. I understand the experience that you've talked about. Uh, in fact, I have experienced it. Praise God. Here's, here's kind of my, my question, um, so that it didn't go straight to, <laughs> to, to other things. You know okay. what I mean? I wanted to, to get that out there so that you understood okay. where I'm coming from. And um, I, I want to know what your opinion is, because uh, as, as much as I know God, I've also felt that same, whether you call it an emotional response, I believe it is the Spirit. Okay. Um, the same Spirit that's talked about throughout the Bible that teaches truth, uh-huh. um, telling me that, that the Gospel is restored, that there is a priesthood that can perform baptism. And I'm wondering, on your, in, in your point of view, now, go one step further. Okay. I believe that there are good people in every church okay. in this world. And the members are different. Uh, you can't judge all Mormons by by one by one Mormon that you know. Okay. Um, it's and you can't do that with uh, born again. You can't do that with anybody. Right. But I do want to know your view um, as you've taught it uh, about the priesthood. Okay. Do you um, you did you were you rebaptized? Did you uh, did uh, what your feelings on baptism? I don't. I don't really know that. To tell you the honest truth, from the born again faith. Oh, uh, well. Let me cover this because we got other calls, and I'll just answer this quickly. Um, I, I was not rebaptized in the Mormon Church. I was not rebaptized yet as a Christian. I believe baptism is very important, and I think it's a great outward evidence of your of faith. I just really haven't. This is terrible. I haven't made the time to do it. Um, I don't think it's important for salvation, is uh, because. I think Jesus on the cross and Jesus rising from the grave was salvation. I didn't see a baptismal font next to that cross. But I believe it's an important evidentiary he of your baptized. faith. What's that? He was baptized as an example. He was. And as an example. Well, to, but, to being perfect, that they should right. enter into the waters of baptism. Is but one of, the, one of the signs that John was looking for was the sign of the Spirit on, on the people he baptized. So it was important that Jesus was baptized, not only to fulfill all righteousness. Believe me, I'm not against baptism. I think it's very important. But I just don't think it is necessary for salvation. And I think our God is bigger, uh, and I don't think he confines salvation only to those people who have been immersed in water. I think that it comes by faith 
and not by actions. Now, the actions should follow faith, but I just don't think it comes down to uh, those the, the acts. The bigger question is the authority on baptism. The authority, I go to Mark uh, really quickly, and, uh, you know, Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and they see a guy who's casting out and doing things in his name, and, and the apostles say, should we rebuke him? He's not one of us. And Jesus said, hey, if he's not against us, he's for us. And I go with that with the authority. I think the authority comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Hey, brother, thanks for calling. Well, let's go to line two, Shane. Sorry, Shane, I think I cut you off earlier. Okay. Go ahead. Yes, no problem. Hey, I just uh, had an awesome prayer request. Uh, you may be familiar with uh, the upcoming uh, meeting. I guess some evangelical Christians are getting together with some of the, uh, I believe, uh, general authority. And, and I've heard about that. And get into uh, dialogue sometime this week. Are you familiar with that? I've heard about that, yes. And I just think uh, it'd be awesome if we get a lot of good prayer requests to... Uh, plant some seeds and get some good results from this. Amen. I'm glad you brought that up. Anybody who's watching, pray for the apostles of the Mormon church who are getting together with some evangelical leaders who are going to be talking about the differences of our faith, who are going to be talking about what needs to happen for us to at least respect each other better and to be more Christ-like toward one another's beliefs. And hopefully everybody will come to know the Lord through things like this. Thanks so much, Shane. I'm going to line three with Miguel. Miguel, you're on. Hey, how you doing? Hey, man, good. Hey, you know what? The only thing I wanted to say was uh, <clears throat> what are, the problem that I have, okay, with LDS or any other religion, and, uh -huh. you know, not to knock anybody, is that a lot of times um, people like to defend what they, they've been taught, you know, all their life through uh, tradition and upbringing. You know, I used to be LDS. Instead of just saying, hey, you know what? You might be right. Why don't we look that up and, uh, and, and look in the Bible and see what's the truth instead of, Let's defend what we've been taught. You know, a lot of times I defended things that I was taught since I was a kid by my parents during generations, and and then I, you know, I finally had to say, hey, you know what? Uh, I may be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean. That's well, that's maturity, Miguel. You grew, you grown up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's tough. That's the thing, though. It's just, it's just kind of hard to try to teach somebody or talk to somebody who's hard-headed because they just. They're just like, they stick to their guns, regardless if their yeah. guns are empty. You know what I mean? You know what I found? I do know what you mean. I found that what, what softens their head, if that's the right term, is uh, when they get broken by life. When tragedies come or when they realize who they are before God and, and all the dogma and all the hard stances and all that stuff starts to melt away when life starts to hand them their head, so to speak. Well, the way I learned was I had to fall, I had to, I had to fall all the way down to look okay. up. And All right. I, I mean, I hit rock bottom, and, that, and then I looked up, and that's when Jesus pulled me up and uh, put me on the road. <laughs> oh, well, that's excellent. I'm glad to hear it. Praise God. Keep going, and uh, thanks for calling in. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to go to uh, line two real quickly, and then line, line one, excuse me. Oh, we have, uh, we have Greg Johnson on the phone from Standing Together Ministries. Greg, you're on the air. Hey, Sean. Congratulations on your first show. You've got a hit here. Everybody's calling in, and... It's outstanding. Well, thanks. I, I, uh, I actually just wanted to call in since you just said that you never made time to, uh, to be baptized. And I, I consider myself as one having authority, uh, okay. as one who uh, was commissioned by Jesus Christ with the Great Commission. And I, I think we should take care of it. All right. If you leave town, we'll, uh, we'll get you baptized. You and me. <laughs> I look forward to it. Uh, I've I got to get my wife and kids up here to join in. <laughs> it should be a family thing, shouldn't it? It should. Hey, congratulations, man. It's a good show. Thanks, Greg. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. We're going to Wren on line two. Wren, you got to be quick, brother. 
Hey, was uh, the gospel to be restored? Was the gospel to be restored? Yeah. I don't believe the gospel was to be restored. Jesus said it was to be. He did? Where did he say that, Ren? It's in Matthew. Uh, he says, I say unto you that the gospel must be restored. You're going to have to give me that verse. <laughs> uh, I don't think it says that. Now, the gospel, if you read in Revelation, the seven churches, we can read what happened to the church of Jesus Christ. We can see that it went through very tough times. We can see that the, that the church became corrupt. We can see a lot of problems with the church and, and, and some good logical reason for people to believe that there had to be a restoration. But Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And I believe that there have always been believers led by God on this earth and it was never cleansed completely of it. We're down to our last minute, buddy. Thanks for calling. I'm going to turn and, and offer some last thoughts here. I want to offer you a challenge. Again, I don't care what religion you are. I do not care. The challenge is, is free. There's no risk to it. It's the best offer you're ever going to get in your life. All right? And this is it. Go to the Lord. Examine your heart. Look at the moments when your child makes you angry. Look at the moments when you're driving on the car and you want to do something bad to the guy. Look at the moments when the girl passes by in the bikini. Look at the moments in your business where you might have uh, taken advantage of somebody. Go to the Lord. Confess yourself as a sinner. Ask Jesus to take over your life and to give you a new heart. And tell the Lord that you trust Him and you'll wait for Him to do that. I promise you. I promise you in the name of Jesus Christ. I promise you from biblical experience. I promise you from my own life experience that He will step in. He will take care of you. And he will give you vision to see spiritual things and live a life like you've never had before. God bless. See you next Tuesday. I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the 